When my soul was disturbed with sorrow, when my heart was burdened with sin, Jesus opened his arms of mercy and tenderly took me in. There is peace in the time of trouble. There is peace in the midst of the storm. There is peace though the world be raging in the shelter of his arms. There are storms that we all encounter. Do not fear, they will do you no harm. In the Lord you will find protection in the shelter of his arms. There is peace in the time of trouble. There is peace in the midst of the storm. There is peace though the world be raging in the shelter of his arms. Though the world all around be raging and it's filled with many alarms, trust in Jesus and he will keep you in the shelter of his arms. There is peace in the time of trouble. There is peace in the midst of the storm. There is peace though the world be raging in the shelter of his arms. Song again. Back in the 90s, and I always think, well, that wasn't too long ago. That was 30 years ago. But back in the 90s, there used to be something we did in church. I haven't heard us do it in a long time, so I don't know if, if anybody remembers. But somebody would say, God is good, and everybody else would say, amen. Y'all know that. And then the person who said, God is good, would say, all the time. There you go. That's the way it was. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. I thought it interesting, uh, for lack of a better word, that as I was studying our scripture this week, and it 
had to do with the goodness of God. Uh, because in the midst of something like we have gone through and, you know, we have gotten the lighter end of the stick, if you will, than folks along the coast, uh, it always raises those questions, is God good? And that's the reason that my title says that, is God good? Listen, I'm not struggling with that question, but it is a question that pops up in the midst of tragedy or catastrophe, is if God was good, how could he allow such things to happen? If God was good, why didn't he stop this uh, from happening? In fact, I got in a conversation right around Christmas with somebody who wanted to argue that point with me, that he did not believe in God's existence because of catastrophes like this that happened. I'm having all kinds of mic problems here. Bear with me. But he wanted to, he wanted to make that argument. Well, if God is so good, why doesn't he stop these horrible things like shootings and and hurricanes and tornadoes from destroying people's lives. And it's a fair question. But these questions, as old as they are, and let me tell you, they've been around for a long, long time. As old as they are is they really speak to a condition of our heart. And that condition is this. When something bad happens, we need someone to blame. When something bad happens, we need someone to point the figure out, finger out and say, it's your fault. That's a human condition. For us instead to, to just say something like this, well, if something bad happened, let's move on. Let's gird ourselves up and let's go forward. Instead, we have to pause a moment and say, well, let's blame somebody. It's somebody's fault. And there's all kinds of uh, opportunities to laugh in the midst of bad times. And I'm a big believer in laughter is the best medicine. There was a political cartoon that said something like this. Well, let's figure out how uh, this hurricane is Donald Trump's fault. right? And uh, so let's figure out who to blame for this particular catastrophe. And, uh, and that's the way it, it happens. But we believe as followers of Christ, as believers in God's Word, that God is sovereign. And that means that He is in control. That means He knows all things and, and has all things in His hand. That He has dominion over all things. And that's what Scripture teaches us. And so if we believe that, then there's also that tendency in the back of our mind to say, well, if something major like this happens, well, it must be God's fault. If He's got dominion... He should have stopped this from happening. And I, I want to pause a moment and, and remind you, we've talked about this before. When something like this happens, like in nature, like a big hurricane or a tornado or, or flooding or anything like that happens, it, it's, not, it's not necessarily that you know, God blew into the oceans and made this happen, but that when the world was created, it was created in this perfect sense. But then sin came in. And sin, as the kids sang this summer during VBS, sin messed everything up. And so when you see something major like this happen in nature, uh, a storm, a hurricane, a, a, a tornado, or flooding, or, any, or earthquakes, we have to remember what is happening is, is that creation, nature itself, is groaning because it was messed up in sin as well. The Bible talks about the groanings of creation as they long for their redemption. Listen, we are redeemed through Christ, and that's great. We're redeemed right now. There's, there's a coming a day when Christ will call us home and He will redeem us in full, okay? We will, we will experience His full redemption because we'll no longer be here on earth. But the Bible goes on to talk about that in that redemption, God will also redeem creation, so all of this that's going on is, what that is, is it's the labor pains, it's the groaning of sin has messed up creation. 
And so I, I want to be clear and say, when these things happen, it's because of sin. Not because of our current day sin, necessarily. I, you know, I'm, I'm not about to jump on that bandwagon. Well, you know, God punished Houston. That's not what this, all is, what, what this was at all. But this is the, the marred creation that we live in. This is not how God intended for creation to be going on. Just like we were never intended to get sick. We were never intended to have uh, personal life issues. We were, that was not how creation, but sin messed everything up. And so from that very beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it just messed everything up. And that's, that's the cause of this sort of thing. So if we in our human nature say, well, who's to blame for this? We always go back to that point. Well, sin is. Sin in humanity. The, the fact that we fell at creation time. That's the reason that everything is so messed up. Today's portion of Psalm 119 is about the letter Teth. It's a lot like our, word, or our letter T. And each verse of this section, like all the other sections, begin with that letter Teth. That word. And so each, each verse in the Hebrew begins with a Hebrew word that starts with that letter Teth. It is by no accident that five of these eight verses start with the Hebrew word Tov which is best translated good. Why do we say this section has to do with the goodness of God? Because the majority of the verses start with this idea about good or goodness or what is best or what is better. Good. And so in this section, what is happening is the psalmist is reflecting on the goodness of God in the midst of his affliction. Or we might even say adversity. And I'll use those words interchangeably, adversity or affliction. Well, let's read our scripture, Psalm 119, starting in verse 65. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Verse 68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver." Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it teaches us. We, we pray, Lord, that we would submit ourselves to it. Lord, we thank you for your presence in this place. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us. Change us from the inside out. And it's your name I pray, Heavenly Father. Amen. And so my, my answer to that question, is God good, is yes. It's simple and basic. It's yes, God is good. That's the psalmist's argument in the scripture, that God is good. And we can say God is good for some, some very important reasons. And I want to give you four this morning, real quick. If God is good, His actions are good. And, and maybe I'll change that instead of it saying if God is good to because I say God is good because His actions are good. Verse 65 literally translates, 
Good you have dealt with your servant, Lord, according to your word. You see, the temptation of our flesh, the temptation in our minds is to look at our situations and consider it to be nothing but bad. And I know this because if I could just be honest with you for a few moments, I'll tell you I struggle with that just like ever, every other human being. In the back of my mind, as that rain is falling, I sit there and I ask the question, God, why are you doing this? Why are you, you know, Lord, I've been praying that you would just blow this sucker back out to sea. Why didn't you? I, I struggle with that as well. Why are you allowing this? And I don't have an answer for that. And he doesn't necessarily answer that prayer. But I know and I believe God, who has the power of life and death, who controls all things, here he is, he's letting this storm come in and completely devastate people's lives. And I want to tell you that my understanding of God shows me it's okay to ask these kinds of questions about why, why are you allowing this, why aren't you stopping it. The problem isn't questioning the why of the situation. The, the problem isn't questioning the trial, the tribulation. The, the, that's not the problem. What the problem is, is that when we begin to question his very real attribute of goodness, and we say, we look at that storm and we say, well, look at that. You're just not good, God, because you're allowing that. That's, that's the real, where the real problem is. Because in the midst of the stormy moments of our life, and whether it's this storm or something else, we can and we should remember and proclaim, you know what, God, even in the midst of the storm, God is good. But then we have to back up a second and we say, okay, but what is good? I understand you're saying God is good, and I, maybe I should say that in the midst of my trial, my storm, whatever that might be, but what is good? Because amongst human beings, we really can't agree on that. I mean, I'll say peanut butter is good. But some of you would say, I'm deathly allergic to peanut butter, right? Or I might say, sunshine is good. But some of you may say, well, I really prefer overcast, cooler kind of weather. That's really what I prefer. Some of you might say, I think the beach is great. I love going to the beach. The beach is good. And I might say, yeah. I kind of I prefer the, the snow-capped mountains, actually. I'm, I'm a little bit different. I think that's good. The cowboys are good, which everybody would say amen to, right? No. But even in the midst of a hurricane coming, how many of you would be honest? Don't raise your hand, but you would say, hurricane? Good, we could use the rain, right? I mean, that's sometimes we joke about that even. Oh, good, I'm glad there's a hurricane coming. We could use, in Texas, we look forward to hurricanes because we need the rain. But if you made that statement, and can I be honest, I made that statement before it ever hit land, before it was, while it was way out there in the Gulf of Mexico, I remember thinking, boy, we could use some rain. That's, boy, if I could retract that statement for a moment, right? We can't agree on what really good is. We can't even make a decision on what really good is. We as humans don't agree on what good is and what is not good. And because of this, we cannot be the judge of what good is. If we can't even agree on what good is. I mean, you know, most of us would look at a newborn baby. Most humanity would look at a newborn baby and say, that is good. But even on something as sweet and innocent and lovely as a newborn baby, there, were, there might be some disagreement on that. 
But for the most part, there is little agreement among humanity on what is the standard of good. It is relative to the individual. And so for a true revelation of what is and what is not good, we must turn to the standard bearer of good. And there's only one standard bearer of good, and that is God. And so when I ask the question, is God good, then we have to answer the question, if He isn't good, then He isn't God. See, there's a little bit of philosophy in that. If God isn't good, then He isn't God, because if He isn't good, only God is good. Is God good? Yes, He is. God is good. What is good? God is. He is the standard bearer of good. He is the only one that can decide what is good and what is bad. And our duty as humans, human, human beings is to come alongside Him and saying, I don't understand this, but I know you're good, God. And so I'll just trust in that. And that requires faith. And that might require for us to have a, maybe a change in our mindset about trusting in God's goodness versus our perceived idea of what good is. And you hear the psalmist saying, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. And so then we say, well, you know what? I can't really, if I can't judge what good is, then I have to go to his word and say, well, this, listen, this is bad right now, what I'm going through. But what does God's word say to me? Well, like I was telling the kids, God is always with us. You know, that's good. We can all probably agree on that. God is always with us, and that is good. What else does God's word tell us? God loves us. No matter what, there is nothing you or I can do to make him love us less or even love us more. He is already at the all well, good, and level of love for humanity. He loves us. He proved that when he sent his son to die on the cross. The Bible tells us that he provides. Maybe not in the way that we want. We may be sitting there thinking, well, I could use a brand new pickup truck and a boat, right? But that's not what the Bible promises. The Bible promises he'll provide for our most basic need, our most basic essential need. And while we may say, well, that's uh, food, water, and shelter, I would argue and say, no, our most basic need is relationship with him. The Bible shows us also that He always shows patience, enduring patience with humanity. He could have destroyed humanity a long time ago in that great flood. He could go back, He could double down on His promise of that rainbow and just say, you know what, I'm so sick of you guys, I'm going to take you out right now. The Bible promises and He sticks to that promise and we can look at those promises and say, that's good. Can't we all look at the promises of God and say, you know what, I may not be a very good judge of what good and what good is, but I can look at the promises of God and say, yeah, those are good. His promise to never destroy the whole world with a flood, that's, that's good. His promise to love me, that's good. His promise to be there, that's good. His promise that if I turn to Him in faith, He will save me from my sin, that's good. And then, I mean, I look at the Bible and this is basically what I read is that it could always be worse. You know, I, I shared that last week, and, and some of y'all were like, eh, and then some of you were like, yeah. That's always been kind of my personal motto. It could always be worse. It could always be worse. No matter how bad we have it, there is always someone who has it worse than us. And I know you're saying, well, how does that tell me about God's goodness? 
Well, it just means you, you need to look at that and realize he's not picking on you. That that's just how life is. Life is full of disappointment. Life is full of heartache. Life is full of, of depressing, catastrophic events. God isn't picking on you. That's, that's just the way it is because we live in a fallen world that has been affected by the sin from that moment at creation when Adam and Eve took that bite of that forbidden fruit. Sin came in and messed everything up. And, and life has been a mess ever since. That's just the truth of God's Word. And so you may look at your life and say, well, gosh, man, this is really messed up. There's nothing good about it. I, I want to tell you to open God's Word, and you could probably find a whole lot worse conditions that people were going through. It could always be worse. worse. And I've got to tell you, whenever I think that I have troubles, it helps me to put things into perspective. And then I realize, no matter what happens, I have my relationship with the Lord God Almighty. I have my faith. My salvation is secure in Him. So really and truly, no matter how bad things may seem, from my human perspective, really, they're good. Why? Because God is in my life, and God is good. And that's what I have to put my faith in. When our mindset changes about what is truly good, then we can say, as the psalmist says in verse 68, you are good, talking to God, and you do good. Teach me your statutes. So not if God is good, but because God is good, we can say His actions are good, no matter what those actions are. Even if it's not what we want or what we think would be best, we can trust in Him, put faith in Him, and say, you know what, I don't understand this, but because you're God, good, God, I see your actions, whatever those actions may be, as being good. And sometimes those actions go to this next thing. And this is what the psalmist talks about, affliction. Because God is good, we can face adversity, we can face affliction, and we can even look at it and say, you know what, affliction is good. Now, I know you're, some of you are like, what? How can affliction be good? How can bad times be good? When our mindset changes to where God is good, even in a storm, we will see affliction and adversity in a whole new light. In verses 67 and in verses 71, there is this conversion of mind and spirit that happens to the psalmist. Look at verse 67. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now I keep your word. And then down to verse 71, he says, it is good for me that I have been afflicted that I may learn your, your statutes. Do you catch what he was saying? Listen, before his affliction came, before that adversity had come, he had strayed from God's will, and he recognized that. But he says, now I've gone through the affliction, now that I've gone through the adversity, now that I've gone through the storm, I'm walking the path. It's good that I went through that affliction, because essentially I have been drawn closer to you, Lord. It was good for me to be afflicted so I could learn your word. In his affliction, the psalmist learned God's words. It's not that the affliction helped him to memorize certain passages of Scripture, though maybe it did, but that in his affliction he learned the reality of God's truths and how they applied to his life. You know, it's, it's kind of like this. We can read about God's trustworthiness, His faithfulness, all day long. But until we experience something that makes us 
truly trust in His faithfulness, we'll never really understand it. It's not until He helps us weather the storm that we really and truly believe God is there. God has my back. God has my hand. If you're like me, when adversity happens, you tend to consider it to be the worst thing ever at that moment. Perhaps you wonder if you'll even make it through this alive, but once the adversity is over, we're able better to put it into perspective. And often we look back on the circumstance and we say, you know, that really wasn't that bad. Or, wow, look at how much I've grown through this experience. In fact, once the adversity passes, we're able to see how that time in our lives actually drew us closer to the Lord. Hopefully. Because I guarantee you, that is the purpose. If you're facing some sort of affliction, some sort of adversity, the purpose isn't to make you mad or embittered at God or at life or at people. The purpose is to draw you closer to Him. I'm not saying God sent the hurricane to increase the prayer lives of people along the coast of Texas. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying a byproduct of, of it was that. God used that as an opportunity to increase the prayer lives because, man, I saw all kinds of people calling on the nation to pray. We even have right now a national day of prayer called on by our president to do that. Would that have happened if the hurricane had ever not come? Probably not. Consider the story of the prodigal son. It was in the midst of his affliction, lying in the pig slop, longing to eat the pods of the pigs, that he remembered the truths of his father. Remember when he was at home and he had things all nice and cushy, when life was good, the prodigal son didn't care anything about his relationship with his father. That's why he went to his father and said, give me my inheritance now, I'm going to the city. But in the midst of his adversity, once the money was gone, once he was in the midst of his affliction, in that pig pen with the pigs, longing to eat their food, that's when he says this, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And if you've ever read through the parable of the prodigal son, we have this understanding that the father is really a picture of God the father. You start to see that what happens is this prodigal son hit a low, life in his, a low point in his life and it made him long for a relationship with his father. That's the point of affliction. And so when we have this mindset that God is always good, and because God is always good, we can face adversity, we can face affliction, and we can say, even in the midst of that, hey, this is good. Now that's crazy, right? But Christianity is full of craziness. And that's the point. That doesn't make sense to the human mind, it doesn't make sense to the world, but it doesn't have to, though. It's all about putting our faith in God that He carries us through it, Hmm. And if, and if a little storm can make us have more faith in God, then affliction is good. Consider this week with a storm. Again, how many people talking about God's word, people calling out for prayer. What an amazing thing to see people showing how they believed in God's existence 
I mean, it, it seems like often that we're in the minority, right? Not a lot of people believe in God, that not a lot of people trust in His existence. But then you see all these people calling out for prayer, and you realize a lot of people do believe in Him. A lot of people do believe in His hand to help in the midst of trial and tribulation. We could say the opposite is true. If affliction is good because it draws us closer to the Lord, then we could also say then good times are not necessarily good. Times of pleasantry in our life are not necessarily good. I'm not saying they're bad, but we all want that mountaintop experience. But you know where the greenest grass is? It's down in that valley. Our growth, our development as followers of Christ best occur in the troubled times and not in the good times. I need to move quickly. Because God is good, the world is bad. Woo. Maybe I should say the world is not good. And I don't mean like the world, like when you walk outside the doors, you need to look at somebody and say, not good. That's not what I'm saying at all. I've defined before you before that the world is a term that the Bible used to refer to those things that stand in direct contradiction to God. And so the, the text doesn't say the world is bad, but to me it is implied simply because of the context of what the psalmist has written. He's been afflicted, but his affliction caused him to humble himself in the sight of the Lord. It caused this conversion of going astray to going to the Lord's will. And he turned his life closer to the Lord. And the world would tell us, no, that's just bad. Affliction is bad, adversity is bad, and you need to escape it as quickly as you can. In fact, the world would tell us that if bad times are happening, and when I say world, again, I'm not talking about necessarily people outside the church because you will hear this kind of teaching in the church. If bad things are happening to you, it's because you're bad. A lot of times what we hear in Christianity is not necessarily biblical teaching, but is more karma, luck. In fact, what I'm starting to see is when bad things happen, it's just, you're, it's, you know, it's, it's bad. And when good things happen, oh, you've had a stroke of good luck. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The psalmist states the proud. <clears throat> he starts in, in uh, verse 69. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is fat as grease. And, and really quickly, this idea of forged is um, it kind of reminded me of Elmer's school glue. Anybody remember when you were a little kid making crafts? at school using that Elmer school glue and you'd put that white nasty stuff all over your paper and you'd put your stuff down making your crafts and then that white nasty stuff would smear all over the place and I'd have it all over my hands. That's kind of the idea. The world has forged a lie about God. It's a big nasty mess. They're just trying to come up with things. They're like little kids trying to understand the bad parts of life. And that's because pride causes us to come up with all kinds of cockamamie ideas about how God works or about what is good and what is not good. Just, just a few ideas out there, uh, we have this relativism idea. And I've already touched on that about what is good to me is not necessarily good to you. I think the cowboys are great. You may say, well, no, they're not, right? That's relative. Good and bad is relative to the individual. The problem is, is that when our ideas and our beliefs start to contradict each other, there's a real problem. Another cockamamie idea that people come up with is, why do bad things happen? 
they have this idea, it's called open theism. Maybe you've heard about it before, but this this idea that yes, there is a God, but God created thing, everything, he set it into motion, and then he just took a couple of steps back and says, all right, you guys have fun, I'll see you, I'll see you at the end times. And so why do bad things happen? It's because God has no control over anything. In fact, that belief goes so far to say that there are things that God doesn't even know will happen. And so when something bad happens in your life and it surprises you, they would tell you it surprised God too. He didn't see that coming. That's the concept behind open theism. And then obviously, I've talked about this a little bit, there's this thing called prosperity gospel. Of course, they'll never use it, but it's this idea that if we live a good life, if we do all the good things that we're supposed to do, then our life will be trouble-free and God will reward us. That's not reality. These are the lies forged by the proud that don't want to own up to the fact that, you know what, life is a mess. Life is full of troubles. Life is full of tribulations. And the problem, though, is, is not about knowledge, but what the psalmist mentions in verse 70. He says their heart is as fat as grease. It's a very interesting phrase in the Hebrew. Fat as grease. And it's just actually one word translated fat as grease. Because in Hebrew culture, and actually most of the world, being fat is not a bad thing. In the Hebrew culture and in some of these third world countries, if, if you're overweight and you show up, you know what they'll say? Wow, you must be very rich. Being overweight is seen as being prosperous. I have a friend who's a missionary in Zambia, and he encouraged me to come over there. He said, because I would be the center of attention for him. <clears throat> he said, they would all think you're some rich American because you're overweight, Brian. And I said, well, thanks, Blake. I really appreciate you pointing that out. But that's not what this says here. It doesn't say that their hearts are fat, but as fat as grease. You know, what the idea here is that nasty refuse left over. Not the good old bacon grease that we save to make gravy later, but that nasty refuse that's left over when you cook meat. Right, Matt? You got a special container for that nasty stuff. I've seen it before. Not the grease, but the container. It's not useful for anything. In fact, what this Hebrew word really translates to is gross. Their hearts are gross. And it's not picking on someone that might believe in these ideas that there's, you know, God will bless you and give you good if you do good. We're not saying that they're necessarily gross. What we're saying is that they're, they're, the lies that come out of their heart are gross, they're destructive, they're not productive, they're not good. And it reminds me of Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And actually better translates, who can heal it? God can. But the heart of the wicked that forged these kinds of lies, these kinds of ideas of trying to understand troubled times, it's messed up, it's gross, it's not right. It needs to submit to God. Got to move along. Finally, because God is good, we can say God's word is good. In the end, the psalmist has learned a valuable lesson. The law of God is better than all things. It is better than riches. It is better than gold and silver. It is better than all the world has to offer. Why? Something I've already alluded to. Because what the Bible teaches is reality. The world wants to tell us, sell us one thing. The Word of God wants to give us reality. You know what? When I read through God's Word, you know what I see is I don't see a, a, a world free of troubles. I don't see a world free of trials. God's Word 
paints a better sense of reality than anything else. Because God's word shows us that his people are in constant trial and tribulation. Sometimes it's because they sin a lot. If David is the writer of Psalm 119, we can certainly understand that because he's got one of the worst sins on record in the Bible that we can think about. I mean, other than Judas betraying Christ, right? I mean, he sleeps with this married woman and then lies about it and then sends her husband off to be uh, uh, murdered, to be killed in war, and then marries her to try to cover it up. The only reason David ever admitted his sin is because some prophet came and tricked him into admitting it. God's Word paints a picture of this reality. God's Word shows us that God's people go through all sorts of trials and tribulation. God's Word teaches us that His servants even question God's motives and the purposes of the trials and afflictions that they go through. In short, the Bible reminds us that life is a mess. It paints a beautiful picture of the mess that we are in. It doesn't hide that. I am so thankful. I love the reality of God's Word and what it teaches me about life. Because what the Bible offers is spiritual blessing, while the world offers sinful bloating. The Bible doesn't offer, if you do this and everything else will be great. What it offers is, if you put your trust in the Lord, then on the other side of reality, the other side of eternity, there will be a spiritual blessing. You can't make any promises this side of heaven, but on the other side of heaven, you can't imagine the spiritual blessing awaiting for you. And that's the opposite of what the world offers. What the world offers is sinful bloating. In other words, if you do this or if you do that, then life will be peachy keen for you. And this isn't reality. No matter how much you try to pursue happiness, you may not find it. You may not find it. And so the psalmist, through his afflictions, realizes the truth of God's word. He realizes the worth of God's word. Again, if this is King David, we can especially appreciate his comparison in verse 72. That it is, it is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Because if this is King David, he would have had massive amounts of wealth. He would have known what it felt like to have thousands of coins of silver and gold. I have no idea what that's like. I don't know what that reality is like. So I'm going to put my trust in God who inspired this writer to say this. And so I'm going to say, you know what? I'm not going to try to reach a lot of money, which the world tells me is good. But instead, I'm going to reach for God. I'm going to reach for God and, 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 and trust in the spiritual blessing that God's word promises. And the, the king of all promises, the king of all of those blessings that the word of God promises us is that if we trust in him, if we trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior, that at the end of this life we will have eternity in heaven, eternity with reward for our life. So in the answer to that question, is God good? Yes, absolutely. And that goodness is revealed when he sent his son to die on the cross for each and every one of us. I'm sorry I went long this morning. I'm not sorry. And I'm sorry if your hindquarters are a little sore. I try not to go that long. But I think it's really important that we understand that God's goodness is not revealed to us in good times in our life. God's goodness is revealed to the reality of Scripture 
and the reality of Christ as our Savior. Do you know that reality? Do you know that very best of spiritual blessings, Jesus Christ as Lord? We're going to have a time of invitation, time for you to respond. Our musicians are going to play. I want to invite you to respond however the Lord is leading you to do during this time. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Father, I pray for your, um, your wisdom and your knowledge, and Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that we would respond how you are leading each and every one of us. Lord, perhaps we need to surrender some point in our life that we are just hanging on to and saying, this is what I need for life to be good, instead of trusting in you for what is truly good. Maybe, Lord, what we need to surrender is our life to you as Lord and Savior. But Father, I just pray that we would all respond obediently to you this morning during this time of response. And it's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with us?